0: Howdy, welcome, and hello. We're so glad to have you back here on We've Never Been Clicked. I am Cuppy Cup, and today I am joined by Dr. Norris Camacho Rush Roberts. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm wonderful. And I also have Cool Hand Lucas here with me. Howdy. And we're, we're really excited, and we, we brought a full team here today because uh, we, we have a really nice opportunity to talk to Andy Staples, who most of you will be familiar with, and he just made a super exciting career move sliding over to The Athletic. So how's everything going, Andy?
2: Well, it's interesting. They just sort of kidnap you, and, and all of a sudden, you work for The Athletic. Uh, I, I was looking around, and all these people I knew, and how'd you get here? How'd you get here? But uh, it, it's it's really fun. The idea that you could make money on the internet just by writing good stories is just mind-blowing to me. So I am, I'm thrilled.
0: We actually talked about The Athletic last week on the show because it was announced that The Athletic was partnering with techsags.com, which is... Very relevant to our listeners, all Texas A&M yeah. fans. So do you, uh, do you have any behind the scenes on how that went down or what it's going to entail?
2: Well, Billy Lucci and Gabe Bach just wanted to get me on the radio more often. That, that's really what it was.
0: I read that into their story, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were looking to figure out how we are going to cover Texas A&M, and they are the most plugged-in people at Texas A&M. They're going to get everything first. They're going to have context to everything. It's a pretty, pretty natural fit. Plus, you know, text agg subscribers do understand paying for good content, which is something that at The Athletic, we appreciate people like to do that. Uh, so there's going to be a content share where some of the stuff that, that we think is relevant to their readers, will they'll be able to use and their stuff that we think is relevant to our readers will be able to use. And I love you text agg subscribers. We, we want you in our boat too, uh, because not only are you going to get college football coverage, which I know. All of you guys love, you know, let's say you're a Cowboys fan or you're a Texans fan. Well, we have beat writers on both those teams. Uh, Astros fan, Rangers fan. I, I, it's it's an unbelievable package right now. It's it's three bucks a month for the first year. And it's, the way I just tell people about it is it's, it's a latte a month because the, the regular price is five bucks a month. So one overpriced coffee drink per month. You don't need the calories anyway. <laughs>
0: I talked about it a little bit last week, but I, I feel like I'm the only person who got a raw deal out of this because I'm not a pro sports fan, but I signed up for The Athletic after I heard that you had joined. And I also have a Techsag subscription. So I feel uh, like of everybody in the world, I'm the only one not getting something out of this. But,
2: but you are so invested in college football in general. The thing is you you don't just want to read about Texas a and We cover absolutely everything. We have the, the best – team of college football writers that has ever been put together uh, it, it's unbelievable we had a meeting up in chicago with everybody there and i'm looking around the room like how did this even happen <laughs> you know how did, how did we all get thrown together here but it, it's unbelievable that like to be able to call bruce feldman and say hey i'm hearing something what are you hearing and, and then we can we can go call let's say it's notre dame and call pete sampson and ask him what's going on, or it's Tennessee, we can ask David Oven. Uh, it, it's it's really cool to have this network of people. And I, I'm really excited to see what happens during the season when stuff starts to happen. You know, yep. if there's something controversial that happens in a game between two teams where, you know, us national folks like like me or Bruce or Matt Fortuna or Max Olson or Nicole Auerbach, we can, we can call the people we know, and then you'll have beat writers cover both teams, and they're going to call the people they know it's going to be fun to see what we can kind of put together on the fly. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Like I, before I joined, they, they had a situation where there was a kid who uh, he was Florida's highest rated signee in the 2019 class named Chris Steele he was a corner and he left Florida. Uh, and then he was going to go to Oregon. He changed his mind. He wound up going to USC. Well, we have a Florida beat writer named Will Salmon, who's fantastic. Tyson Alger covers Oregon and Tony Morales covers USC. And they were all working together. And Tyson was the one who finally got convinced Chris Hill to talk to him. So if I got, got the first interview with the guy after all this stuff has happened. And I just, I mean, I've never been in a place where you could do that.
0: Yeah, that is cool. And then you get all that with no ads too, which I have some envy since we're on. I like SB Nation, but as you know, we get a lot of ad content with the things well, that we that, post. That's
2: the thing. I, I love Sports Illustrated. They, they were so good to me. Some of the best people in the world. The web platform, the timing foisted upon Sports Illustrated. And it's funny because they haven't been owned by, you know, Time Inc. hasn't existed for two years, but they were still stuck with the web platform. And it was just, it was so hard for people to use. And I felt bad because people would would tweet at me and say, you know, I can't read your story because it's crashing my phone or it's crashing my computer. And nobody at SI wanted that to happen. And I, th- I think the new ownership is going to fix that. I've heard they've got some pretty good backend technology where they're going to be able to put up a pretty nice website. So I hope for their sake that that happens because there's really good people there. But the problem is you have a really good story. And like I had a Hunter Renfro story one time that had 20, 28 ads embedded in it.
1: I'm looking at one of your stories right now. It's still an SI and I'm getting told that I can win a hundred dollars for Mountain Dew. If I collect all 50 state labels and uh, Jason Day is, Still trying to tell me something, but it hasn't loaded yet in 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> this would be a good time for the podcast to cut to an advertisement, but I, <laughs> I don't think we will. Yeah.
1: Give me some mid-roll.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: for real. Since we, we mentioned tex Sags briefly, I know that uh, I saw the film SEC Ready, which I guess they released in, maybe it was 2013, but you it was were- right? it
2: was 2014.
0: Was it 2014? Okay, so you, yeah. were, you were in that, and you talked a lot about- realignment and, uh, and the role all the different people at A&M played in realignment and kind of the realities about what was happening between like the Texas AD and A&M. So you had a lot of kind of juicy stories and and, <laughs> and behind the scenes information about realignment. And The Athletic is doing, uh, like I don't even know what to call it, but it's this big like site-wide feature on conference realignments this week. And Wednesday was your day to go. So, do you want to yeah. give us a little, a little bit of insight into into that story and 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 a little bit more about your knowledge of realignment? I
2: think there's something between like 15 and 20 stories in this series, and you you've got David Oven had a huge piece Monday on the pac 16 and what it would have looked like and, and and you know how close it came to to being a thing. Uh, Mitch Sherman wrote about Nebraska. And and how it you know got to the Big Ten and what's happened since then. Uh, Chris Benigni and Nicole Auerbach wrote a great story about Connecticut being the biggest loser of realignment. It's just fascinating how all the pieces fit together. So I drew the Texas A and M story, and that was probably the one I covered the closest during realignment because somebody had tipped me off in 2010 that the SEC and Texas A and M were talking, and at that point. No, it was it was rumored. and it, you know it hits the message boards, but it hadn't been out there. And I wrote a column about it and uh, got got. To know. I didn't really know a lot of Texas A&M people at the time. I'd been at SI for a little over two years, and I was still getting to know people from around the country. And I knew a lot of people in the SEC because I had covered Tennessee and Florida as a beat writer. So it was easy to kind of attack it from that angle. And once once I knew the SEC was involved. And then I got to know some folks at Texas A&M. And, you know, it it was funny to me in 2010, because I remember talking to some people at A&M, they could not figure out what they wanted to do. There were three factions, there was, you know, one that wanted to go to the SEC, one that wanted to stay in the Big 12, which I think, I think that Big 12 faction was the biggest, they just wanted some stability. They just wanted the Big 12 to be different. They wanted an equitable distribution of revenue. And so they wanted the Big 12 to act like, the SEC did, and act like what the Pac 16 was gonna do. They and then you want to change, and then you had a few people who, who did want to go out and try something new with the Pac 16. And I was kind of surprised by that. I, I just because everything I would heard about Texas A and M people was you, you'd hear from other Big 12 groups that oh those guys are weird. They're you know they're kind of a cult and they're they're strange. And I remember I would watch Texas A&M games and and I got to go out to College Station and, and, and go to a game. And, uh, and I was like, these people act just like Auburn fans and LSU fans and Alabama. Fans. what's the difference? It, I don't, why aren't they in the SEC already? Right. And so th- that was just my, my personal view of the thing. I, I didn't understand why, why they didn't just jump then because it seemed like such a natural cultural fit and so but for this story it was interesting because we got the the benefit of some time has passed and people are more willing to talk and I talked to Bowen Lofton uh, a couple of times over the weekend and I uh, talked to Jim Wilson who was the the vice chair of the board of regents for Texas a m at the time I talked to Bernie Matchin, who was the president of Florida at the time and he was the chair of the SDC's board of directors and Bernie and I go way back because I I covered Florida for the Tampa Tribune and I was on a beat when he got the job so because I was in town I said I called the paper I said listen they got a new president would you like me to write a story about the new president I'm assuming the Florida alums in in Tampa want to know about the new guy running the school and he and I hit it off pretty well and and so I, I had known him for six or seven years at that point and it was interesting, you know, talking to him now. And Bernie's always been great because he has no filter whatsoever. So he was happy to to give me some some little tidbits. Like, apparently, when the SEC took Texas A and M, and I I couldn't nail down whether it was after they took A and M or after they took A and M and Missouri. But basically, the Mississippi schools stuff they were going to get thrown out of the league. <laughs> They're like, we're the smallest, you know, population footprint. Are you going to get rid of us? And and so he had that Bernie told me they had you know, what he called it a come to Jesus meeting with the, with the presidents of those schools like, hey, guys, you're fine. Relax. We're just trying to add some stuff so we can start this cable network here. The the most interesting thing to me, and I, I talked to Bowen Lofton about this a couple of times, was so Bowen Lofton is in. Bill Power's office in February 2010, you know, the, the presidents of a in Texas often will get together and discuss strategy going into a legislative session, figure out, okay, how are we going to attack this, try to get more funding, try to keep our funding from being cut, all that stuff. So they're having this meeting. Both of them had their vice president for government relations there. They get done with the meeting and Lofton asks if the vice presidents will will duck out for a second so he and Powers can have a word privately, and Lofton goes, "Hey, I'm hearing all this stuff about you guys talking to the Pac-10. What's up with that?" And Powers wouldn't reveal any sort of information. All he would say is, "Don't worry, whatever happens, we'll take care of you." And <laughs> so you've got Bowen Lofton, Texas A&M class of, of 1970. Yep. And there's basically like steam coming out of his ears. He said he had to work hard to bite his tongue and not say anything he would regret later when those words came out of bill power's mouth and And, and Lawson said he is certain that Bill Powers meant no ill will there that, that he he probably thought he was being very nice and and just saying, "Look, you know, we're going to make sure you're, you guys are not disadvantaged by this and all that but he said it was kind of typical of the way Texas and Texas A&M interacted and the way Texas acted toward Texas A&M. And it really bugged him. And, and you guys are Aggies. I guarantee when I said those words, what Bill <laughs> Power said, you were probably like, oh, no. Oh, hell no.
0: Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, Texas exactly. A&M
2: doesn't need Texas to take care of it. <laughs>
0: Oh Yeah, that really that that story kind of gets to the heart of the whole uh, excitement. I mean, not just joining uh, the premier conference in college football, but getting out from under the thumb of Texas. And I think that's why a lot of Aggies now are resistant to playing them again, even though I, I don't think any of the three of us are are in that particular camp. But uh, but that was kind of that, especially in uh, 2011, 2012. So liberating to not have yeah. to deal with that mentality anymore.
2: And here's the thing: in 2010, I still don't know if everybody in charge. I, I think, I think Lofton and Wilson and a, and a couple in the inner circle did understand this. The fact that Texas A&M was one of the schools that had options and could kind of control things a little bit, Oklahoma was the other. though Oklahoma was was very reluctant to engage the SEC. Like I didn't, I didn't know. I could never confirm in 2010. That summer, that Oklahoma had been approached, and but we found you know found out later that they had, mm-hmm. but they were never really that engaged with that idea. They, you know, Bob Stoops didn't want to go to the SEC, he had worked in the SEC at Florida as a defensive coordinator. So, uh, Joe Castiglione, I don't think, had a whole lot of interest in it. David Boren, uh, I think, kind of liked the cachet of, of the Pac 12 because there's a bunch of AAU schools in, in the Pac 12, and uh, for those listeners who who think we're talking about uh, youth basketball, that would be the Association of American Universities, and uh, of which, obviously, Texas A&M and Texas are both members. Uh, and, you know, the SEC at the time only had two AAU members, Vanderbilt and Florida. And it was viewed as, you know, every, they'll take anybody in this conference. You know, you, anybody can get into the schools. Uh, they don't value academics. They don't value research. And so, if you're a university president, that sticks in your craw a little bit. So, it was it was important to the SEC to get an one AU school at least, and, and preferably two. And they wound up getting two in, in A in Missouri. But you know, in 2010, A and M had options and helped slow things down because Texas was trying to get that that Pac 16 deal done, although you find out in my story and and I I wrote this back in 2010 because I talked to somebody in the, in the PAC 10, the day, the big 12 decided to stay together. Texas was playing, uh, Jim Wilson put this well. I didn't use this quote in the story, but uh, he put it real well. He said, uh, he said, Texas is always playing chess. You just need to understand that. And so, and, and you got to understand, I don't have any, Affiliation with either either university, so I understand why you know Texas people think everything's Texas A and M's fault, and A and M people thinks think everything is Texas's fault. The fact of the matter is, everybody was just trying to get the best deal for themselves, and the way Texas was doing that was engaging Larry Scott and potential, you know, weighing the 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 option to move to the PAC what would be the pack sixteen. But also keeping one hand in the Big 12 and saying, well, you know, if we could if we could keep the same amount of money for for 10 schools as we got for 12, and we could we could make our own network. Cause that's what the, if they thought the Big 12 was still solvent, then they could make their own network. The Pac twelve or Pac Ten was never gonna let them do their own network. The, the whole point of taking all those schools was to start the PAC-16 network, which would, have, I think would have been very successful if it's got USC and Oregon and Texas and Oklahoma and Texas A&M and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. That would have been a pretty successful network. That was Larry Scott's master plan. One of my favorite moments, and I, I was dying to ask Jim Wilson about this because I'd heard the story, and I asked him about it uh, when I was working on the story. <laughs> so. Remember when Larry Scott was going around to all the campuses of the big 12 schools that they were going to take. And so he was, he spent Saturday at Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. They'd already gotten Colorado. So he didn't need to go there. And then on Sunday, he goes to Lubbock college station and then Austin. So when he's at, when he's in college station, they meet at the airport there right next to campus and Everything's going fine. They had a document that they wanted a and people to sign, but a and wasn't ready to do anything like that yet. and it was still engaging with the SEC. And they're about to leave, and Jim Wilson asked Larry, hey, what are you going to do when they still want the network? And Larry's like, that's not going to happen. Well, according to the high-ranking person I talked to, the night it all went down, in in the, the Pac 10. That's exactly what happened. They got to Austin and Texas said, "Hey, we love this, but and stay with me now, Larry. <laughs> how about we form our own network but we still join your league." Right. And that's that's where Larry's like, "We just we've done it. we've been talking about this for months and that never came up and they just walked the Pac 10 walked away." <laughs>
0: That sounds about right, though. With the and obviously we're biased, but the hubris of just like, oh, by the way, we're but starting not, our own it's network.
2: Not, it's not hubris. That's the thing. Everybody looks at it. It was negotiation. They were negotiating. They, they were they were playing one side against the other. The night before, Dan Beebe had gotten assurances from Fox and ESPN that they would pay the same money for ten as they paid for twelve. So Texas gets a raise there, right? In the Big Twelve distributions. And they know they've got a network now because they know, they know A&M is, is flirting with the SEC, but they know there's, there's enough support to keep the Big 12 together at A&M. They know Oklahoma would prefer the Big 12 stay together. So they're, they're, they know they've got that in their back pocket when they go to the Pac-16. The Pac-16, they're shooting the moon. But if that doesn't work, they've got this great fallback. That's all it was. It was them negotiating, playing all their chips. And I don't think A and M played all its chips in 2010. I don't think A and M was serious enough about the SEC. And I, I think you know Lofton will tell you that, that that it was, but it wasn't Lofton. Lofton would have probably done it. Uh, I think quite a few people would have done it. The coaches were dead set against it, but that wasn't. They really didn't talk a lot about can school compete in the league? It, was, it wasn't about competing athletically. They were thinking more in terms of branding and everything else. So, but, I, but I don't think they, they were serious enough about it because they could not marshal enough support. And then you, we can, we can get into the Longhorn Network and, and the birth of that and the messy afterbirth that led to 2011.
0: It was interesting. And I I didn't remember or realize that you'd written the story in in 2010 as well. So it's amazing that you've been, you've been kind of on this story now for what, nine years or more. And, uh, and it's cool that now that you've joined the athletic, you're able to kind of, uh, bring all these things back to light and reach back into those sources to figure out, uh, probably a little bit more about what was really going on behind the scenes. So that's really cool.
2: Well, it was funny because I got hired and, and Dan Uthman, my editor, in our first call after I get hired, he goes, uh, okay, I heard you got some ideas for some stories. And so I, I listed all the things that, that I was ready to start working on when I got there. And then he said, okay, so we have this series on realignment coming out. We don't have anybody writing a Texas A&M story, and we really need one. I was like, I think I got you there. <laughs> because that, that was the one that I was closest to. The, yep. there, were, there were other ones like you know, Brett McMurphy, told the big east commissioner hey by the way you're losing pittsburgh and syracuse today like so everybody had kind of their own their own spot where they they had a strength and i just i was lucky enough that i had i had some contacts within the sec that helped me get involved in in that story because you know chip brown was kicking the crap out of all of us on the on the pack 16 side and you can say what you want but he got the story and he had it right So, because everybody was just at that point digging for anything they could get. And, you know, I I think I had a lot more in 2011 and, you know, it's in Bowen Lofton's book, you know, that they talked about the people that they fed info to. So I'm not giving away any secrets here. Jason Cook, who was the, the communications director for Bowen Lofton at the time, when stuff went down, he'd tell me. And I wouldn't have told you that, but it's already in the book. So, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's a bailer now.
1: We don't care. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, well, and I talked to Jason the other night too. I was like, Yeah, he's a good guy. I was like, It's in the book, you know. So, there's not really, there's not really <laughs> a, any any sense in, in hiding anything. And, uh, but, but it was interesting because, and this is the part that the people don't get some people always assume if somebody gives you stuff, they're spinning you. Like, nobody in him ever ever trying to spin me. They were just trying to keep me from being wrong. And now the good thing is I don't I am very skittish about being wrong. 333 gets you in uh, in the Hall of Fame in baseball, it gets you fired in my job. I wanted to make sure everything was was correct and the good news is I had some contacts on the SEC side that I could bounce stuff off of and so I always felt very comfortable with what I was writing. But a&M really took control. I, didn't, I don't get into this in a story, but a and really took control of the message in 2011 where Texas drove it in 2010 with all the leaks to, to Chip Brown. a and they would kind of pick their spots. They'd decide, is this something that, that you need to tell Brents Wernerman to get in the local papers here, you know, to get in the Houston Chronicle? Uh, or is this something you need to tell Lucci? To get to the to the you know really diehard fans, or is this something to tell Andy, who can get it to the more you know general uh, the broader audience?
1: We're still trying to figure out who what they want to tell us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think they would be talking to you now. <laughs> you got to understand, nobody understood any of this stuff right at the time. Like I had joined Twitter like a year before all this stuff happened. Nobody, none of us knew how to use it. You're talking about a lot of old newspaper writers, and, and I'm including myself in this bunch, who were still getting used to the idea of, we got this story, we need to put it out on the internet right now. Because in the newspaper, you, just, you always make that next call because you know, you're not put, your deadline for the story is not until nine, not 9 o'clock that night. But in the internet age, it's now. Get it out now. Go call the next source after you get the news out, and then and then you can add context later, or you can if the if they say something completely different, you, that's another story and more grist for the mill. And it's it's really messy, and so you saw a lot of misinformation. But my my favorite day, and I I don't get into this in the story at all, but uh, I think it was August fourteenth, two thousand eleven. It was a Sunday. It was the day that the. The SEC presidents had their meeting, and the assumption was they were going to vote and admit Texas A&M. But this is right when Baylor had said we have withdrawn any promise to not sue. We oh, might yeah. sue, and so the SEC was dead set against adding anybody that might get them entangled in litigation. So. They have the meeting, and Lofton told me that they were sitting in a conference room waiting for the call to say, welcome to the SEC, and never, the call never came. And Matchin sends out a statement, and it says, you know, we didn't take any action. If something changes, you know, something changes, but we didn't take any action. And and so a bunch of people report that the SEC had passed on Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And I'm on this radio show on, on Sirius XM, which – I, I did not work there at the time. I wound up working there four years later. But I'm on this serious XM show, and the guy's like, let me read you this statement for Birdie Matchin. <laughs> Texas A&M is out with the SEC. No shot. And he reads the statement. I'm like, yeah, that's not what's going on. Uh, A&M's still going to be in the SEC. It's just going to take a little bit longer. They're just waiting to have A&M ask them instead of them ask A&M because if they, they ask A&M, they're going to get sued by Baylor. And the guy goes, the guy goes, well, that's not what this statement says. I said, you got me on this show to tell you what's actually happening. Would you like me to do that or not? And <laughs> he yells at me for like 30 seconds and hangs up on me.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and the producer of that show, I guess, held a grudge. And uh, the guy started tweeting at me years later like, you're a jerk and whatever. I'm like, Hey, I work in the same company for you. now. It's pretty cool. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, you do know that Texas A&M is in the sec now. So I was (laughs) telling you the truth, but, but I wrote a column translating that matching statement, basically saying, Hey, you know, A&M has a board meeting tomorrow. They're going to authorize Bowen Lofton to handle conference alignment. That will be the next step in the process. Then A&M will ask, then a And will with say, tell the Big Twelve it's going to withdraw. Then they're going to ask the SEC officially, and all it'll all happen eventually. Yeah. and it did. You know, once once Baylor knew the Big Twelve was still going to be a thing, they were fine, but they were you know, understandably nervous. And it's the same thing I was talking about with Texas and Texas a And Everybody looks at them as as some sort of villain for acting that way. Well, they're protecting their own interests, just like Texas and AM were. Like, imagine today you're in the Big Twelve, and tomorrow you might be in the WAC, like, <laughs> or Conference USA, or the Mountain West. Like, that's pretty scary.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was the birth of whatever internet popularity I have. I think that month, that time frame you're talking about, I made like 150 Baylor gifts to make fun of them
1: inspired well, by Ken Star.
2: Ken Star gifts are the gifts are, are the gifts that keep on gifting.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, Ken Star. That's right. And uh, and to circle back to to Lucas's question about what they would tell us, the only contact Jason Cook ever had with me in an official capacity, like asking about university business, he would ask us, are y'all going to make fun of this or is the internet going to make fun of us for this? And that was <laughs> that was our counsel on that. That's actually that's actually pretty savvy, though. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Cause, yeah.
2: Because there are a lot of official types who don't ever ask anyone that.
0: Yeah. And sometimes the answer was yes, but since you asked me, I'm not going to, <laughs> which <laughs> might have been the point. <laughs> sometimes the answer
1: should be yes, but do it anyway. Mm-hmm. As, sometimes they should read the room. I think some organizations, particularly colleges, just really fail in doing that. Like when Texas tweets out oh, that no uh, their GPA for their team of like 2.82 is the best ever. You know, maybe that's not such a good idea. and You could probably figure that out by asking 10 people in the room, like what they might say. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it is, it is truly amazing. So Florida State, I think had the worst one where the, on on Martin Luther King day,
0: yeah, uh, they yep.
2: tweeted out a photo from the, I have a dream speech. And he's wearing like, they, they photoshopped Florida State gloves onto him.
0: <laughs> uh, wasn't he <laughs> and- tomahawk chopping too? Yeah
2: or yes yeah, so, no he was tomahawk shopping with a florida state glove
0: yes oh my
2: and gosh so terrible. Is the sick
1: edits industry is just there out of control
2: somebody in the room <laughs> that says no you can't do this
1: <laughs> and the person doing it is paid to manage the social media that always just
0: kills me i was like that's your job now that i'm an athletic subscriber i am looking forward to digging into not only your realignment story but but everything else you're going to be producing and uh um, I, I guess I'm gonna see some of your stuff on TechSags too. I need to figure out how that's gonna work. Maybe I'll. Yeah. Um, I don't think they listen to our show, so I'll t- I might just go with the athletic subscription, depending on uh, which TechSags content Ooh. y'all are running. But uh, I, I won't tell anybody.
2: I won't tell. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll. I won't tell Luci. It's okay. It's, your secret is safe with me.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. But I know uh, Rush and Lucas. You wanted to dig into a couple of uh, other topics. Do you want to?
1: sure i'll go first really have one um we're kind of in the meat of the off season where we start to talk about this a lot and i think the the realignment chatter is making it worse but what are your thoughts as an independent outsider on texas versus a&m do you think we should bring the game back or not yeah quit being
2: babies about it both of you play the game Amen. i love
0: it that's beautiful <laughs> that's a great answer because anytime we say something to that effect you get like a thousand uh tweet thread and reply about all the reasons we shouldn't play them and it, it does boil down to just exactly what you said there stop being babies yeah, about.
1: get over it
2: yeah it's it, well it's water under the bridge i mean everybody's gone from all think about that presidents uh ad's uh boards of regions have turned over like Chris Delcani has no ill will toward Texas A&M. Like, Chris Delcani was was trying to get TCU into the Big 12 when all this stuff was, was going on. Which, that's a that's a funny realignment story, too. Him going down to meet with lost Dodds to kind of present his case. And he and Delos go just hang for, for, like, three hours. And at the end of it, Delos still doesn't know his name. <laughs> and Delcani's leaving. And, and Delos goes, attaboy,
0: Dell." Oh gosh! <laughs> did did y'all run a story on that on TCU's uh, story?
2: When I was at SI, I, I did yes. Uh, the athletic has a story on it too. When I was at SI, I did. Um, I think on the five year anniversary, I think it was the five year anniversary of Nebraska joining the Big Ten in 2011. I uh, I did a thing where I, I had you know five little vignettes from realignment, and so that was one of them. Uh, another one was when Nebraska was meeting with Jim Delaney at an undisclosed location, which remains undisclosed. No one has figured out where they met yet. Because <laughs> It's the cafe Tom show in Yeah, Harvey <laughs> Perlman, the, the chancellor, will not say. But Harvey Perlman told me this story where they're at the hotel and Tom Osborne has been told, Tom, stay in your room. <laughs> Wait until the meeting. Don't go downstairs. You're the most recognizable person here. Stay in your room. That morning, Pearlman goes to get breakfast. There's Tom Osborne standing there talking to two guys. And Perlman pulls him away. He's like, who are those guys? And Osborne goes, oh, they're big 12 game officials. So like, you know, zebras, not, not yeah. conference office people, but people who officiate games. And, and Harvey's like, what? What are you doing? Don't you know what we're doing here? And so there was breakfast the compliment was complimentary, free waffles.
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: I mean, look, they had the little turkey sausages. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, so, and then there was another one about, uh, you know, Tom Jurich has since been, sh- you know, disgraced and fired. And, but he he had the probably the biggest gamble of realignment, where so the Big East had like a twenty-seven month withdrawal policy or you had to pay this massive exit fee that's right and he took it so this is louisville's ad he goes to the big east and goes we are withdrawing 27 months from now and they're like okay where are you going he's like don't know we'll figure it out
0: That's awesome. This it was such a fun time, and I guess maybe it was more fun for us because we were Aggie fans and we were doing something exciting. Is this uh, is this going to stay quiet for a while, or um, when the TV rights for the Big Twelve come up or something like that? Is it, do you think it's going to uh, shake up again?
2: It's possible that when all those TV rights come up. So the way it works is you've got the SEC on CBS package and the Big Ten in two thousand twenty three. The Pac 12s the next year, the Big 12s the year after that. I don't know that there's gonna be a whole lot more movement. Everybody keeps thinking, oh, this is when they're gonna go to 16 team super conferences. Nobody really wants to go to 16 teams. Yeah. Like I know there are fans who do, but there's no AD or conference commissioner or university president that you'll talk to is like, yeah, I really want to have a 16 team league. They don't like having 14 team leagues. Sure. It's too unwieldy. So I just don't – like, what amazes me is, let's say the Big 12, you know, either Texas gets hot or, or Oklahoma finally figures out how to play defense and one of them wins the national title in the next few years and they're, you know, fixtures in the playoff and that sort of thing. At that point, the Big 12 could have such a money and prestige advantage over the Pac-12 that they could raid the Pac-12 if they really wanted to.
0: Interesting. I don't think they would. Yeah.
2: But they but when they're gonna be making so much more money by that point and, and and in line to make more money on the next TV deal that they really could, you know, just say, hey, we'll take uh the Arizona schools and uh UCLA and USC and um maybe Stanford and Oregon, Washington. Come on. Come on, come on, guys. <laughs> I think I just named seven, that's probably too many, but
0: yeah, It would make the math complicated because now the Aggies on tech sags and sites like that make fun of the big 12 by calling it like the big 12 minus one plus two minus whatever it is. Lo-
2: there would be parentheses and possibly an <laughs> exponent. Yeah. <So>. Advanced
1: trigonometry.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: but, but no, I, I really don't think there's going to be that much movement. I just think there's going to be like the, the SEC is going to get a bunch more money for that CBS package because it's the most undervalued property in, in all of sports. You know, they get $55 million a year for it now. They'll probably get somewhere between two and $300 million for it next time around. The Big Ten is probably not going to jump the way it did the last time around, but they'll get more. So I imagine the Big Ten probably stays ahead of the SEC in revenue. Uh, but, you know, I don't – like the ACC is locked in until 2036. They're not going – nothing's changing there. And then the Big 12, I just think, is going to get good money. And they're happy at ten. I mean, you saw that dog and pony show they did, where Boren was pushing them to to look at expanding again. And they realized, wait a second, why do we need more mouths to feed? Let's just enjoy getting paid really well, and only having ten schools. And oh, by the way, we can then sell a bunch of our stuff. Still, you know, Texas obviously makes the most money out of that with the Longhorn Network, but Oklahoma does pretty well, and uh, you know. Even Iowa State is making more than, than the Pac-12 schools are getting out of the Pac-12 network. So, I mean, it's they got a good deal. I don't know if they want to change anything. You know, having a nine-game conference schedule where you play every team in the league, I like that. I hate the 14-team the leagues where it's, about, it's more about who you don't play than who you do play.
0: Oh yeah. We'll play Georgia again in 25 years after 2019. Exactly. (laughs)
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like Alabama and Georgia right now are the two best teams in the SEC. You're not gonna see them unless both get to Atlanta. Yeah. That happens. Well maybe maybe in the playoff, (laughs) like the, the, the 17 season. But I mean, chances are there is no way to see that game unless each one wins the division.
1: Well, I mean, what they need to do is they need to add a ninth conference game and or and or get rid of the permanent interdivision rival. Right. You know, Alabama's never going to not play Tennessee, so. No, just-
2: that's never going to happen. But Nick Saban, here's your plea. He would like that ninth conference game, but I don't think they're going to do that. I the, the only way I think they would do that is if the stadiums are are so empty with some of the games they've been scheduling. And I'm, I'm actually going to work start working on a story about that tomorrow because – the SEC, you know, the eight-game schedule has been good for them. But with this, this push that, you, hey, you need to play 10 Power 5 opponents, that's great for Florida and Georgia and Kentucky and South Carolina who have ACC rivals that they play every year. So they really just need to add one to what they always scheduled before. That's not as hard. If you're LSU, Alabama – Texas A&M, one of the Mississippi schools, you need to add two all of a sudden. And that becomes more difficult now. If Texas A&M were to have a permanent out-of-conference rival that they played
1: every year, then Mm. it wouldn't be so hard. If only we had somebody in mind.
0: Lamar? Are we talking about Lamar? (laughs) Or or incarnate
1: word, one of the two. UTSA.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's right with a long pause between the t and the s <laughs> maybe a comma <laughs> yeah oh goodness the um lucas did you want i'm looking at this uh, graphic that i made andy for the live stream that we're trying to run on twitch right now and i used your officiating uh, photo and i think oh yeah lucas you had a question about that didn't you
1: well i just wanted to ask andy a few questions about it cuz i like that article that's the one i was looking at from april the, maybe might be one of the last ones you did for Sports listener. I really liked it because I'm actually a high school official.
2: Oh boy. What 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 where do you work? I work the back.
1: I work the line I work as a field judge or a side judge. Uh because and well that was one of the questions, like you pointed it out, like you worked on the on the line, which I think is just I do that in junior high games just to just for practice and to appreciate how hard that is. And there's so much going on. It is all the positions are really hard. I remember when I started it four years ago. And I was just blown away by how fast everything moves and how much you have to work, how each official has to work with all the other officials and what you have to see and what you have to do before the, before the snap. And it just gives you a whole new appreciation, uh, for how complicated their job is. And,
2: oh yeah. Well, I I asked my guy, uh, my professional line judge who was helping me out. I was like, wait, you have this you know, 17-point checklist of things I have to do before the ball gets thrown, and then I'm the guy who's supposed to figure out if the ball passed the line of scrimmage in the air? Like, <laughs> and I missed i missed an intentional grounding because uh, Jake Fromm threw a ball away near the goal line, and because if you're the line judge, within six yards, you must get the goal line because the,
1: the yeah, we side have judge yards. is...
2: Yeah. Is, is moving to the back pylon. So you have to move to the front pylon. Well, you normally you'd be looking at the line of scrimmage so you'd see if the ball crossed the line of scrimmage. But I was at the pylon. So I see the ball go by and I see it skid out of bounds, but I had no idea where where it went out of bounds or whether that was in front of the line of scrimmage or not. And, and what I should have seen is it was behind the line of scrimmage. He was about to get sacked. That's intentional grounding, but I I just missed it.
1: Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you're watching it on TV, it's so easy to see because you've had a few seconds to think about it afterwards. But the amount of stuff that you have to do pre-snap, the counting the players, the making the person checked off, punching them off, signaling to the other officials, all and the fact that all of that goes on, like you said, within like you have eight seconds if they're taking their time. And if it's a it's a fast paced team, you have four seconds. Oh, if
2: it if it had been Ole Miss, I would have died. I, <laughs> I don't know what I would. But and and boy, those receivers get nervous if you don't if you acknowledge don't check them that they are on the line of scrimmage.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> uh, but you know, for example, like in the back, you know, we have to count all the defensive players. You know, every single yeah. play, and there's tricks to that that you learn as you get as you get older. You know, you watch the sidelines to make sure you count the players that come on and off. But sometimes, you know if they're huddled up or they're changing formations, you know, it gets really hard and, you know, you might miss it. And, of course, if you miss it, the coaches in the booth did not. And they're just going to call down to the, the head coach who's going to get in your ear, particularly on the line. And that's why I'm yep. glad that I'm not there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. And, and I threw one flag for what I thought was pass interference. Uh, and, and Sean McDonough, the announcer, was the back judge and ran in and said, you're going to want to pick that up. And I'm like, "Are you, you know what? I've forgotten the number of the guy I was going to flag, so let's pick that up. (laughs) And it turned out we watched it again, and boy, was he right, because if I had called it on anybody, I probably should have called it on the receiver, but it probably wasn't anything. It was two guys arriving at the ball at the same time with no advantage given either way.
1: I just love love the article because it's a little sympathy for the devil. Um, Oh, absolutely. I hope You never hear the announcers throw that in there, but, you know, I hope Sean will this year in some games, you know, when some of those, um, you know, somebody makes a questionable call uh, to, you know, that happens in a split second, maybe they'll give, you know, cut the fans a little bit, get the fans to cut them a little bit of a break because it really is a possible job.
2: I always knew they had a hard job. I just did not quite understand how hard it was. (laughs) I would never volunteer to do that. I don't understand. And I know they get paid. There's there's not enough money in the world,
0: and then you get seven overtimes <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right, right,
2: Like as the been dying, just as, as much as the players were. So, yeah. It and and then you got to break up fights after the game. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. <Coaches>. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I know a few college officials, um, including including like a white hat who works for the in the for the AAC and has worked some bowl games and. uh the one thing that I always try to impress upon people now that I know a bunch of them is that people think it's rigged, or people think people officials have favorite teams, and they don't. You know, they the don't real, care. They don't care at all. And really, the only thing they're trying to do is do the best job that they can and not make any kind of mistakes like that the officials made in the Saints Rams game. That's a exactly. complete nightmare.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, well, and and it was interesting because you know it's funny during during all this stuff, the the realignment stuff, the Chip Brown story came out. Remember the the day where the the guy had the perfect game and the ump blew the call at first yeah, base?
1: The Galaraga <laughs> game for the, yeah. the tigers yeah.
2: So that was the day before the Chip Brown story in 2010.
1: <laughs> and and that's and that and you know that's even a worse nightmare, you know, because that was that guy's whole career, you know, and but yeah. at least it's, it's remembered. I've just remembered it so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hats off to that guy.
0: Yeah, maybe in the grand scheme of life, that's the point to do things that are memorable. <laughs> but yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't want to be remembered for that. Tank your okay. career in the process probably isn't the way to go. <laughs> and I remember
1: after the game, there were, that the umpire who blew that call was Jim Joyce, who is one of the best major league umpires. You know, uh, voted on as voted on by the players, and you know that's how people kind of kind of remember him by. But the people that really know know the officiating really know who the good people are. Yeah, there are some yeah. bad ones. That's true, but. Or some people that aren't as good, but it's really hard.
0: It's you, the uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, that is me. No, it's- <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think we're almost done here, Andy. But I can't let you skate without talking just a little bit of barbecue, because as much All as we right. like football, being Something I actually know about yeah, being in Texas, I think we appreciate barbecue maybe even more and are more opinionated opinionated about it perhaps. Um, so I, w- I I hadn't had to- heard. <laughs> I didn't realize you
2: you guys had stronger pains.
0: So I wanted to I wanted to uh, put you on the spot a little bit, asking you about any SEC West or maybe just the SEC as a whole towns that are remarkable for either extraordinarily good barbecue or extraordinarily bad barbecue. So do you do you have a few examples on each end of the spectrum there?
2: I don't really think there's any that are just straight bad. I try. I mean, I just avoid the bad barbecue places. So. I don't know where most of them are.
0: Oh, uh, you I, have the benefit say, of getting heads up from everybody when you're going to a town where you should right. eat, right? Now, yeah. Sh-
2: shout out to the town where I live, Gainesville, Florida, the home of Sonny's, the worst chain barbecue in America. <laughs> but it all it all started here. But <laughs> it, you know, it, I just it, there's a, there's a lot of good barbecue around, and I am not uh, I'm not one of those people who says, well, this format is the only way like mm-hmm. i'm not barbecue is brisket no barbecue is pulled pork no it's all of it that's it's
1: our job is to say that you got to be a port guy from being you know from florida that has to be you got to at least have a preference. Well
2: no i i'm originally from south carolina so that's even it, yeah i have very you know when i was younger i had very distinct opinions on on what cuz i thought i'm i'm from columbia originally we moved to florida when i was seven but my dad's from charleston my mom's from selma alabama so we kept a lot of the real Southern traditions and you know, until I was seven years old, I assumed everybody put mustard based barbecue sauce on pulled pork sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And that's what people ate like five days a week because we did. And so it was a rude awakening to see what the rest of the world did. But yeah, I mean it's so Texas has obviously the most good barbecue places. And the thing is, like, the, the floor in Texas is so much higher. Like, some of your just very average places, uh, your Rudy's and all those, yep. would be the best place in town in a lot of SEC states. Okay. Now, it's getting better. Like, now, in South Carolina, you get run out because their barbecue is really good there. They've got the, three, you know, kind of three regions where they all do it a little bit differently. But uh, they take – a lot of care. Now it's a different style. Like if you go to a barbecue place in the middle of the state, chances are there's going to be a buffet and that maybe they've been doing whole hogs. And so you've got the pulled pork, the pork skins, the ribs, and, and they have what they call hash and rice. And it's not what most people think of when they say hash, you know, most people think of like corned beef hash, but hash is this sort of, stew that you make with basically everything that's left over and like my my family would have family reunions where they cook a giant pot of hash would be be this giant cast iron kettle and the men would sit around all night stirring the hash and then you'd serve it over rice the next day so that's that's what a good place in south carolina might look like that sounds incredible Uh, low carb So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a place called Sweatman's in Holly Hill, South Carolina, which is uh, sort of between Charleston and Columbia, basically where I ninety five and I twenty six meet, like eight miles from there, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they're open Friday and Saturday. They only do whole hogs. It's a buffet. You pay for the buffet. If you want to pay, I think it's like a buck fifty extra. You can get banana pudding, but it's it's amazing but a completely different experience than say you wake up in college station on a Saturday morning. You're like, you know what? I'm going to drive to Lexington and go to Snows. Um, yeah. because you know, in, in Texas, you're going to go and you're going to go down the line and they're going to put the brisket on butcher paper. You're probably going to get the Trinity, the the brisket, the the spare ribs and the the sausage. If you're at a place that does beef rib, great. You may do that. but. It all, you know, it, there's a distinctive look to it, and so that that's what it's going to look like there. Uh, you go to Georgia, it's going to be kind of a mishmash of everything. Um, you're going to have influences from South Carolina. You're going to have influences from Alabama. It's just, it, I I love that there's so much variety there. But I've got a you know a couple just favorite places sprinkled throughout. Like my favorite spare ribs are Archibald's in Northport, Alabama, which is probably probably three miles from Bryant Denny stadium it's it's suburban Tuscaloosa basically uh and now the the problem is and and this you know it's just like any any other kind of restaurant deal you gotta make sure you're at the right one because the family has had fights and somebody's moved over and opened their own place so if you're going to a game at, at Alabama and you want to go to Archibald's it's the one on MLK in Northport it looks like some guy's house
1: Awesome. This is the best places. I love Kinda barbecue fights. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the suburban Tuscaloosa didn't really help because I think that that's pretty much all of Tuscaloosa. So.
0: Well, it, I mean, it,
2: it's really, yeah, there there are places in the city limits of Tuscaloosa that are farther away from the Alabama campus than, than Archibald's is, but it's it's pretty close. Uh, one of my favorite places that's opened in the last few years, everybody just about has to travel through Atlanta. There's a place called Bees Cracklin Barbecue in Atlanta. A guy who, He'd opened his first place in Savannah. He used to be a welder in North Carolina. He's just, he's tremendous. Great pulled pork, great ribs. Uh, They do the, we call them hoe cakes. Um, They call it crackling cornbread, but it's basically like little cornbread pancakes. And you, I, what I do is I put the pulled pork on them and he's got this peach barbecue sauce. And you just do like a little couple little drops of that. And you make a sandwich out of it. And it's, uh, it's off the charts good. So,
0: oh, this was so a many... terrible question to ask at eleven o'clock at night when nothing's uh, available. Well,
2: <laughs> what, you don't have a brisket in the smoker right now.
0: Come <laughs> no, on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go downstairs, like being very ambitious, and end up eating a, a cheese and mustard sandwich. We're yeah, still I, call I, that. It,
1: podcast money to buy us the we, big green egg. You guys, <laughs> you guys
2: are so spoiled though. Like to be within an hour of of snows and louis muller and and you know you have fargos right there and Bryan and and then you go down to houston like pinkerton's just opened up and i realized he's a giant texas fan but the that place is awesome and very close to downtown houston which you know before you you had to go like killings and pearland to get like elite barbecue now you can get it six minutes from downtown
0: Yeah, I might go there tomorrow because I have not been yet. Uh, I'm in Houston, and they—I haven't been there since they opened. They're
2: they're outstanding. Uh, The the brisket's great. Uh, They do the candy paint ribs, which is they—they do the you know try to get like a candy glaze on them toward the end of the cooking process. Uh, They are really good, Um, and then they have uh, they have duck duck sausage or or it's like duck jambalaya. Hmm.
0: That he, sounds he's nice. He's a big
2: duck hunter, and uh, it is the richest thing you've ever eaten. But it is so good.
0: I hear someone typing. Everyone's looking up these restaurants now to figure out <laughs> 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 figure out when we Google can Maps. Go. But um, that's I'm in awesome. Port, so I, I'm
1: just left with uh Dickie's barbecue chain or something. It's it's sad, but I always say D- Dickie's is the Sunnies of Texas. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even you mentioned Rudy's like I can get by with some Rudy's if, if there's nothing else around it's them fine. in a pinch. It's fine. Yeah. Is is, fun.
2: Is fine. It's yeah. just fine. <laughs> and you know, in Florida, there's a chain called four rivers that started in Orlando. And it's sort of changing the way I feel about chain barbecue. Cause everyone I've been to has been really good. Interesting. Like the original was great, but their, their outposts are all just about as good.
0: Hmm. Well, it, So you, you, you kind of mentioned earlier that most of the SEC towns have, have good places to eat. Do, does any one of them – I guess I'm trying to get you to throw somebody under the bus here. Which one has the worst food in your experience? There, is
2: not, there, there isn't one with the worst food. There, you can find great stuff everywhere. Like Starkville is the smallest SEC town.
0: Yeah, we okay. knew it was coming out. <laughs> Got it. So, All right. Yeah, that's but, what I was trying to get. Got but, it. but the thing is like
2: – so you're going to go to Starkville and people are going to tell you go to the little Dewey. And they're going to be wrong. There's two <laughs> barbecue places. There's Lil Dewey and Petty's. Go to Petty's. Petty's is the good one. Lil Dewey looks better. Petty's is just sort of like a little shack roadside. But Petty's is way better. And then, but, you know, they've got, they've got a bunch of good places in that, in that cotton district. And uh, then there's one of my favorite coffee shops in the country is their uh, Strange Brew Coffee House their their blueberry cobbler coffee i get like a pound of it or a pound or two of it every time i'm there so i i just, they're if you if you are only finding bad food or feel like there's a town where you can't have a good time you're not trying hard enough uh,
1: yeah, that's, that's good your advice fault.
0: Yeah, the uh, and even in Starkville, don't they have a creamery and place you can get cheese and, and things like that on campus? So, ki- yeah, that,
2: well, yeah, it's an ag school. I mean, they they got all kinds of cool cool stuff. So, but I'm uh, just gonna
0: I'm gonna edit that answer and just your answer is just gonna be Starkville. <laughs> Starkville. I'm not gonna include any of the no other stuff. No way. <laughs> so, Petty's
2: is the only place I've ever eaten pig face.
0: Oh, and interesting. I did that somewhere said, here in Houston. It's
2: called. They called it Snoop. Like one order is Snoop, hmm. and. It's delicious. Yeah, it's, it's all just pork.
1: Yeah, we're living in the golden age of food in America. All you have to do is just look around and look at
0: everybody. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. unbelievable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How true? Yeah, that's true. So I, I think we'll cut you loose now, Andy. We really appreciate your time, and we're we're super excited about following uh, what you're going to be doing at the Athletic. Obviously, we'll be monitoring the relationship with TexAgs just to see what that content looks like for. Aggie fans. And, uh, and I hope that we can, we can reconnect soon or, or maybe even during the season to, uh, to get some different insights on, on what's going on in the sec.
2: Well, you never know. You might just find me sitting at fuego at three in the morning one time because I came to do a Jimbo story. So (laughs) see, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start carrying a matter matter of time.
0: Yeah. I'm just gonna carry microphones around with me in the car now, just in case. Well if I'm (laughs) there at
1: three in the morning I won't you won't be able to understand what I'm saying anyway.